Also, just an update on our uh, summer uh, kindness challenge, our summer of kindness challenge. Uh, we have 850 uh, different acts of kindness that we've done so far. So we're almost a fifth of the way through. So that's really cool. So any act of kindness that you can do, if you can let us know about it, uh, that would be great. You can either text it, send it on Facebook, uh, send it to us. Um, This week, what we're challenging you to do is each of you received a little ticket like this to invite someone to the TUI pool outreach. And so if you have a coworker or neighbors or friends who have kids, uh, they don't have to have multiple tickets. They can just have one, but invite them to come and do that. So I never ask you to do something that I don't do. So this week, um, I was at Subway here downtown, and I walked in, and there was a person that had two small children, and I thought, you know what? I bet they'd like to go swimming on July 9th. So I went up, and I said, hey, we're, our church is doing this, da 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 uh, We'd like you to come. And she's like, I might even come to church this Sunday. Now, I don't know if she's here or not, but if she's here, we're grateful. If she's not, maybe at least she'll come swimming. So, Uh, Do that this week, very, very easy, and then let us know about your acts of kindness, because you are being kind, right? Yes, always, right? Okay, well, let's uh, pray, and then we'll jump into our teaching for this morning. Loving God, thank you so much for the community that we live in, and thank you so much for the country that we live in, where we have freedoms that many people in the rest of the world um, would die for, and they literally do, to have the freedom to come and to worship. And for that, God, we're so grateful. Help us this week, God, to show acts of kindness um, as we show your love to people. And uh, as we do that, to know that you, your name would be made great. Jesus, uh, thank you so much for being present in our lives. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be released in this place today, that lives would be changed and people would be healed. Remove anything in our life, God, that would keep us from hearing from you. And in particular, God, I pray right now for your servant, that anything in my life that would get in the way of people hearing directly from you, I ask that you remove it and that I would be an open vessel to be used by you so that your name would be made great. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, we're in week two of our summer series called Kingdom Style. And basically what we're doing is we're looking at Jesus' most important teaching that he begins his whole public ministry called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the middle of this, at the very beginning of it, he gives kind of the top uh, beatitudes, top blessings that he says, I want to give these to you, and if I do, there'll be a blessing for your life. And so the first ten verses are these, and in in the very first one, we looked at last week, the very first beatitude, and this is what it says. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we learned last week that when it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. It doesn't mean those who are financially poor. It doesn't mean those without wealth. But it means those who are fully dependent upon God. They're poor in their spirit, so they're dependent upon God. 
And poor in spirit means that you seek God's help more than anything else. That you seek God more than anything else. Now, as a way to remind you of the Beatitudes, last week uh, we passed out a little king uh, keychain that says kingdom style. And uh, if you weren't here last week, don't worry, there were other people that weren't either. But if you weren't here and you didn't get one of these keychains, just raise your hand real quick. We've got uh, some baskets here. They'll pass them out. But we want to make sure that everybody uh, gets one of these. And basically what we're doing is that each week we're going to have a beatitude and then a statement concerning that. So uh, last week it was blessed are the poor in spirit. And the sticky statement or a statement that we're trying to get people to memorize for the whole week is uh, the one from last week was God is more than enough. And what I found myself doing this week is as I was walking around and I would pull my keychain out, I'd just look at that and I'd think to myself, you know what, whatever I'm going through, whatever's happening in this moment, that God really is more than enough. And so each week what we'll do is we'll have a new beatitude and then we'll also be able to put the next uh, sticky statement on there. So uh, there's some more over here and some more over here in the corner. Um, So we'll do that, and then each week you'll get a new one. So if you miss a week, you're on vacation. If you just go to the resource table, they'll get it. But we wanted to make sure that everyone got one uh, to start off with. So last week, because you've all memorized it, take it off the screen just for a second. Uh, Okay, last week we memorized this, and the first beatitude is... I got real good at the beginning, and then all of a sudden, people went like this. Where's that keychain? That's why we gave it to you, you know? And then the second one uh, here is that God is more than enough. That's the sticky statement that we want you to keep. Now, this week, what we want to do is to focus on the second beatitude. And this is what it is. Let's read it out loud together. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Let's read it again. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. All of us in this place, we have something that we all experience. And we've all gone through the experience of mourning something. There has been some kind of brokenness in our life that we've all experienced that has caused pain and hurt. For some of you, you have lost a loved one. Someone has died in your life and you mourn that. For others of you, maybe you went through the pain of a divorce. And you went through that and, you, and you've mourned the fact that that didn't work out the way you thought. For some of you, you've lost a job. You've mourned being unemployed after you've been employed for a while. For others of you, there's a child in your life who has been estranged from you. And they're disconnected now and you mourn that. And some of you have gone through the morning of actually losing your finances and having to file bankruptcy and to go through that pain. And this is what I want you to know. Anytime that you lose anything, the loss of anything that is valuable to you, what it will create is a period of mourning. And today, what I want to talk about is when we mourn 
spiritually. When we do something spiritually that bankrupts us and keeps us away from God. That is, when we sin, when we mess up, when we flub up, when we screw up in this thing called life, when we hide ourselves from God, we experience spiritual mourning. Now, there is a game that every single person in this place has played before. In fact, I would go as far to say that every single person in this place, it was the first game they ever learned. Now, there aren't a whole lot of rules to this game, but there is a, this game is difficult to keep score. There's no leagues, there's no television sponsors, but all of you have played this game. It's played in almost every single culture in every country. So I want to give you 10, 15 seconds right now. Turn to the person beside you and see if you can guess what the game is. Go. Okay. Now, you want to know what the game is? The game is called Peekaboo. Like, look, I made some of your July 4th weekend already, you know? Peekaboo. Now, the rules are very simple. First, you peek, and then you boo. Okay? So it's like peek-a-boo. Okay? And when my two little girls, Jordan and Shiloh, were small, we played that game constantly. I'd go, uh, peekaboo. And then you go over to the other one, you go, a peekaboo, and they would laugh and giggle, and I don't know what that is, but there's something within us that we love to do that. But a strange thing, even though it's a fun game, when we become adults, we stop playing the game. I mean, rarely do you ever pick up the phone and call someone and say, hey, you guys got any plans on Friday night? No, nope, got nothing. Hey, why don't you come over for a game of peekaboo? Let's just, you know, do that together, you know, as much as we can. For some reason, it just kind of ends. But, but my girls were very quick learners when it came to this game, Peekaboo. And they would be able to do this. They could put their hands over their eyes and they'd be like, I'm hiding myself. I conceal my eyes. No one can see me. Big, powerful daddy can't see me now. I'm independent. I'm a person. And then all of a sudden they go, boom, like that. Peekaboo. And... Many of us have experienced that game with our kids or with nephews or nieces and we're connected and we're like, you don't see me, but now you do see me and I'm known by you. But the reality is, if I want to hide from you again, I can hide my eyes and you're not around any time I want. You see, folks, the game of peekaboo might be a game that we play with babies, and then we never invite people over to play it as adults. But the reality is, is that many of us play this game with God our entire lives. We're constantly hiding something, and we won't reveal it until we decide. In fact, the very first two people who God ever created, Adam and Eve. He places them in the garden, and pretty soon they begin to play this game. 
Now, I don't know why they wanted to play the game. Because they were placed in paradise. They were placed in a place where there was freedom like no human being since has ever experienced. In fact, it tells us that when they were in the garden, Adam and Eve, they had such a connection with God. They knew God and God knew them and they knew each other. And the scripture says they were without shame. They had no shame in their life at all. But one day they turned away from God. They started to play peekaboo to hide themselves from God. And each other. And sin came into the world as they ate this fruit. And the reason they did it is because they wanted to be like God. And the scripture says, for the first time, they knew shame. The Bible says this in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, in the Old Testament, the first half, in Genesis, it says this Toward evening, they, Adam and Eve, heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid themselves among the trees. The Lord God called to Adam, Where are you? He replied, I heard you, so I hid. Now what was the verb that I kind of enunciated more loudly? What was it? Hid. And God came to them. And we're told that they hid themselves from him because they knew they had sinned against him. And this is the reality. That ever since that day, we have tried as a human race to try to hide ourselves from God and from one another. I mean, I think about my own life. From the day I was born to the time I became a toddler, to the time I became a child, to the time I became an adolescent, to the time I became an adult. There have been multiple times in my life in which I've tried to hide from God. I'm not proud of it, but it's true. And I think all human beings do this. We try to hide ourselves from Him at times. But instead of mourning our sin, we hide. I sinned in some way. It caused some pain to someone. I deliberately disobeyed God's word. But instead of mourning that sin, of actually grieving that sin and coming clean to God, we find it much easier sometimes simply to hide. You know, sometimes I wonder to myself, why is it that it's the first instinct that I have when I've done something wrong that I want to hide it? Can anyone else relate a little bit? Have you ever done something wrong and you just tried to hide it? Have you ever sinned against God and you just didn't come clean with it or you didn't come clean with all of it? You see, when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, when he's talking about that word mourning, he's not talking about the death of someone. He's talking about mourning the personal and corporate sins of our life, both toward him and toward other people. Have you ever had one of these thoughts before? I wish I wouldn't have done that dumb decision. I wish I hadn't responded as I did. I wish I hadn't done what I did. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. And folks, true mourning comes when we take ownership for what we've done and we cry out to God and say, God, I have disobeyed against you and I've hurt others. 
And I don't want to wish it away. Again, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are honest with the mess-ups in their life. Blessed are those who stop hiding their sin. Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt. Why? Because when you're honest enough, he says, I love it when people come clean. And that's our sticky statement for this week. As you go through your day, as you go through your week, don't hold on to sin. Don't try to hide it. Come clean. Come clean. Don't hide your sin. Don't hide from God. But mourn your sin. Come clean. And when you do this, when you come clean, what's it say? We're blessed when we mourn our sin. And he says that if you do this, if you will mourn your sin, if you will come clean, there is a reward that comes with that. And what's the reward? It says, blessed are those who mourn. For what? They'll be comforted. What is it? They'll be comforted by God. God promises that he will comfort us if we come clean. He will forgive us if we will come clean. He will not remember our sin anymore if we confess it and we come clean to Him. But why do we hesitate? Why do we want to hide things? Why don't we come clean? Maybe it's because we don't want to admit that we're wrong. That's none of you, though, right? Like you, when you mess up. Oh, we got all the holy rollers in here today. Look at this. Maybe it's because of the fear of the consequences. Man, if I come clean, I'm going to be outed. People are actually going to see what I've done. And, ah, I just don't want to do that. Maybe it's a fear that your reputation is going to take a hit. And people might not look at you as high as you think they do. And, by the way, folks, even though you think people look at you real high, they really don't. That's why I've never understood... That's why I try my hardest when I get up here to teach. I want to be real with you because I don't want you to put me on a pedestal because I'll fail you every single time. You ask anyone in the church, if you think I'm going to be the one that's going to somehow make the right decision all the time, you are dead wrong. I do not help anyone in the process to get to heaven. Christ Jesus alone, he's the only one. He's the only one that can comfort you. There are days I don't want to comfort you. Now, don't go home and that's the only thing you got. Man, the pastor said he doesn't like to comfort us. Hallelujah, you know. Why'd I get up early today, right? No, but that, that's the truth. But God says he'll always comfort us. Well, the good news for you and I, when it comes to this coming clean thing, and the fact that we struggle with it, is that we're not the first people to ever have to struggle with this. I gave you one story of, Adam and Eve. They're the very first people that are created, and yet they struggle on what it means to come clean. And people throughout the Bible struggled to come clean. They attempted to hide things rather than to come clean with it. And so today, I want us to look at maybe the best cover-up guy, the best hider in the Bible, a guy by the name of David. Now, David, let me give you a little bit of background on his story. David was a shepherd. 
he had a father named Jesse, and his responsibility was to go out and to herd the sheep. And so for years after years after years, all that he ever heard was, Mah, Mah, Mah. That's all he heard. And then one day, this prophet, a pastor, comes to his father and says, Hey, line up all your kids. I'm going to choose one of them to be the next king. And he puts them all together and he thinks, oh, it's going to be the oldest one. And it goes all the way down to this little puny shepherd boy named David. He's like, that's the one. And over a period of time, he eventually becomes king. And he becomes the greatest king of the Old Testament. And everyone looks to David because he is so faithful to God. In fact, there's a scripture that tells us that David is the only person in all of scripture who was given this title, a man after God's own heart. But one day he hid from God. And the first time that he hid from God, it created a domino effect of pain and hurt for everyone in his family, everyone in the nation. Let's look at this story in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says this, In the spring... At the time when kings go off to war. So, in the springtime, that's when they went off to war. Out of the winter, they're ready to go. Let's take some more land. So, in the spring, they would do that. But what's the scripture said? In the spring, all the kings, that's what they did. All the kings in the world, they went off for war. But David, what? Remained in Jerusalem. In other words, he stayed home. He said, not this year. I don't want to go. I don't have to go. Let them go without me. And he ignored his kingly duties. Now, for all of his life, every single time that spring came, David was like, let's go. Let's take some more land. Now, Most scholars believe that there's something that's very significant going on in this very first verse that sets up everything else. There's something that we can read between the lines with. It's generally believed that at this time, David was around 50 years old or so. In other words, he wasn't the young man that he used to be. He wasn't trapping. He wasn't the golden boy that everybody looked at. And women didn't look at him the same way anymore. He's the first person in the Bible that had to use Rogaine. Don't look it up. That's just a joke. Just enjoy, okay? Hair for men. You know, like, this was the guy. And he told himself, what I need to do, I just need to work out a little bit more. I'm going to get a running track around the palace, and I'm going to start looking better. He thought... Man, things aren't moving so much, so I need to take some Metamucil, you know, get it all flowing and going, you know? Now, the sad thing is, some of you, that's the only thing you're going to remember, is that I said Metamucil. But this is the thing. What did David really want? What did he want? Well, he didn't really know. He wanted to feel young again. He wanted to feel important again. He wanted to feel vital. He was restless. He was lonely. He was a little bit bored. And so he decided, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stay at home. But what apparently he didn't do was he didn't ask God 
Should I stay home? And so instead, what he does is he just kind of drifts. Now, last week, we talked about coming to a crossroad with our sticky statement. We said, you come to a crossroad, and I love the concept of a crossroad because it's the reality of all of our lives, that you come to a crossroad, and you finally have to say to yourself, God is not enough or God is enough. That's what we talked about last week. And some of you are at crossroads today. You're a little restless. You're a little bored. You're a little lonely. You're in a dangerous spot where you're at right now. Your motivation to obey and serve God has diminished more and more, and you're not sure why, but there's like this drift factor that's going on in your life, and you're not sure why. But let me tell you this. If you're drifting today, if that's where you're at, let me say this. You're in a dangerous place. You're in a dangerous place. And I want to ask you this morning, would you take the time today to say, God, I need to come clean on some stuff. This is some of the stuff I need to mourn. And will you trust God enough to go, you know what, if I do this, he he really does care about me. It, It says that he will comfort us. He has your best interests at heart. Will you trust him enough to be able to say, God, I'm a little bit lonely now. I'm in pain. I'm going to try to hold close to you, but I'm struggling. I'm struggling right now. And this is a season where it feels like there's just disappointments going on. But I want to hold on to you. And so I'm going to ask you today, would you choose a road to believe that God is enough? Whatever it is you're going through. Well, the reality is God doesn't do that. God, or uh, David doesn't do that. He doesn't say God is enough. David decides to say God is not enough. He stays at home. While the men go off to war, verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. And now, this is what's happened. David's gone from just drifting to a temptation So now he's actually going to make an action. He's taking an active part. He's making plans. By the way, sometimes people wonder, well, why wasn't Bathsheba mentioned in this? I mean, like, it's kind of her fault. I mean, what woman's on the top of a, you know, house taking a bath, being all naked and stuff? Well, you know, some guy had to look. He just could not look. Well, most likely, where was he supposed to be? He was supposed to be at war. And what happened was rainwater would come down and they would keep it in these barrels and keep it warm. And women would then do their chores and all their work in the morning. And then they would take a bath before the men came home because the men were where? They were at war. They're working out in the fields. But there's no mention about how she feels. There's no mention of what she says or what he said to her. She She's just something to be used. She's an object. Maybe she'll meet his boredom needs. Maybe she'll take care of his feeling of loneliness. You see, folks, when sin gets a hold of you, the thing that happens is you begin to start seeing other people as objects. You don't see them as people anymore or gifts given to you by God. You start seeing them as objects. How I can get ahead. How I can move up. 
what I can get from them. And so David sends this information, and he starts to drift. Now at this point, David has not sinned morally. And God even sent him a spiritual warning light in the next verse. Verse 3. The man, David's servant that is, said, uh, excuse me, isn't this Bathsheba like the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? The servant took a huge risk right here. He's a servant of the king. But he's like, uh, David, isn't this somebody's wife? Isn't this somebody's daughter? Uh, clue here. Be careful. Have you ever come to a crossroads before and you get something in your head like, I don't know if this is the right choice. Or have you ever been around a group of friends and a friend tells you, Ah, you might be careful about that. There's a little warning light that comes. Now, we, in our culture, we have a concrete way that we show warning lights. Uh, We have traffic lights. And generally, there are three colors. There's red and yellow and green. Now, two of these colors are very, very straightforward. Red means... Like four people said that. I'm worried about the rest of you. What? See, this is why we have accidents. What does red mean? Yeah, red means stop. Now, green means what? Oh, yeah, you have no trouble with that one, do you? Everybody together. Yeah, go. Now, there's a third one that's just a little bit more confusing, which is yellow. Exactly. See, there is no common ground on that. Yellow means different things to different people. Some people, when they see yellow, they slam on their brakes and they slow down. And other people, when they see it, they think, accelerate, pedal to the metal, you know, as fast as you can go, right straight through it. And then when people in the car go, hey, You just uh, ran that red light. People always do this, don't they? It was orange. Folks, there's not orange. There's no orange. Okay? It's not there. Well, God sends David this warning light. He's like, isn't this Bathsheba? Isn't this somebody's wife? Isn't this somebody's daughter? And typically, because David was so in tune with God that he would have listened to it and he's like, oh, yeah, I really need to have some caution right now. But thinking is the last thing that is on his mind right now. He just puts the accelerator to the floor and he goes right through the crossroad. And folks, some of you are at a stoplight today. You're not drifting anymore. You have a specific temptation that you're dealing with. It might be sex, it might be finances, it might be something at work, it might be something that you're holding back from your spouse, it might be something that you're holding back from your kids, but there is something that you're struggling with right now and you're holding back. And God has brought here you here today, I believe, to be able to say, would you come clean? Would you come clean? Verse 4. Then David sent messengers to get her, Bathsheba that is. She came to him, and he slept with her, 
Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Folks, every time you hide instead of coming clean, you sin. Sin is nothing more than you separating yourself further and further away from God. And sin always sets in motion these spiritually destructive forces that you cannot control. No matter how much you think you're in control, the reality is, folks, you're not. Sin always does this. It has external forces like pregnancy in this situation or it might be something else. There are internal forces that happen too. You lose your character. You lose your innocence. You lose your integrity. But sin will set into motion things that you cannot control. So now the question becomes, how will David respond to this, to these results? What will he do? I mean, how do you respond when you sin? When you sin, how do you respond? When you become aware that you've done something wrong and there are consequences to come, how do you respond? You see, at this point, David could come clean. He could say, yes, man, I screwed up, I messed up, I'm coming clean. He could tell the truth. He could stop hiding. He could confess the sin to God, to Bathsheba, to Uriah, to his wife, to all the people of Israel. He could repent and come clean. He could do it. He could go down a road towards healing that would be simply coming clean. But he doesn't. And in chapter 11, it continues on and on into chapter 12, and you could read it. And basically, what happens is he begins to take more control. He calculates a plan for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to go into battle and to be killed in battle, to be at the very front of the line. But the problem is, you don't just send one man up to the front of the line. You have to send a whole division of men to the front of the line. So David plans it with his general to do that, to go to the very front line, make sure that Uriah is there, he tells him, and then he sacrifices all kinds of innocent soldiers because he wants one man killed. And David deliberately sacrifices large numbers of innocent men to be butchered so that he can hide his sin so that Uriah will die. And at first, the strategy works great. Uriah goes to the front line. They're there. Uriah dies. David comes home. He's like, oh, I'm so sad that Uriah is dead. But now he has this poor widow. I am one who cares for the widows. And so he brings the widow into his house. And he's still hiding it. And Everyone is like, oh, what a good guy, that David. You know, look, he takes the widows into the palace, including this one who's lost her husband. And he thinks that he is hidden from everybody, but there's one person that he is not hidden from, and that's God. And God sends one of his prophets, a messenger, a guy by the name of Nathan, to come and to confront him of his sin. He tells this really cool story, and in the midst of it, all of a sudden, David realizes, I'm outed. That's me. I'm the man. I did it. And his eyes are open, and he 
feels guilt and shame and distance from God. And all of a sudden, David begins to just spiral down because of his sin, all the way down to a big, deep, black hole and abyss. And the question is, what's David going to do? And the answer is, he finally gets to the point where he comes clean. And the challenge that God has for me and you and every single person here is, will you come clean? Now, the question often is, well, how do I do it? Like, how do I come clean? Well, the Bible says that after David's little cover-up failed, he stopped hiding, and in Psalm 51, we're given the words that he has after this failed. He says this, I have sinned against you. He's praying to God. I have sinned against you, only against you, and done what you consider evil. So you are right in judging me. You are justified in condemning me. He comes clean. And how do you do it? Well, the first step is you have to admit that you're wrong, which is hard. We admit our wrongdoing. I admit my wrongdoing. Now, the reality is when we commit a wrongdoing, what we often do is we don't take full responsibility for our wrong. We'd rather deny it. You ever do this before? Oh, it's not that bad. I mean, there's, there's murderers out there. I didn't do that. You know, it's not that bad. We like to minimize it, justify it, blame other people. But David said this, I recognize my faults. I'm conscious of my sin. God, I admit it. I agree with it. I'm dead wrong. Now, friends, it's so important to understand this. This is why a lot of people don't come clean. They figure that if they come clean to God, what is going to happen is God's going to go, I'm going to make your life hell for the next 30 days. God is up there in heaven looking down at all these sinners. And once they come clean, I'm going to make sure their life is miserable for the next 30 days. And there's this penance kind of mentality. Or sometimes we think, well, the way that I'll get out of this is I'll just make some wild commitment. God, I'm going to church every single Sunday for the next 10 years. I'm going to serve on this team and do this. And we try to negotiate with him. And he says, whoa, 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 I don't need all that. Just stop, just step up and admit it. Take full responsibility for whatever you have done. Get out of the dark. Stop hiding and choose to live a new way. It's kind of like the story of the groom who's sitting at his wedding reception and he's drinking water. And he's over on the side just drinking water. But the night before at the bachelor party, they were tipping all kinds of drinks and he got so wasted and he got sick and he was just barely making it through his wedding. And then someone comes up to him and says, Hey, buddy. So I kind of had a tough night last night, huh? And then he turns to the person and says, I don't know why it is. I told them not to over-serve me. But they just kept over-serving me and over-serving me and over-serving me. And you and I do that, don't we? We do something wrong and then we try to pass the blame on somebody else. We lose our temper and we go off. And all of a sudden we're like, but my wife made me do it. My husband made me do it. My kids made me do it. It's their fault. 
that's why what David did is so difficult to do. To just go up and say, I admit it, I'm wrong. I was dead wrong. The next step is you have to ask forgiveness. So you admit your wrongdoing, then you ask for forgiveness. David, after he stopped hiding and trying to cover things up, even though he had committed adultery and murder, he finally comes to God and he says, God, I'm asking you, please remove my sin and I will be clean. I'm asking you, God, wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. And it's so difficult for you and I to ask for forgiveness. This week, my daughter Jordan went to a soccer camp down at Butler University. Great opportunity for her. We carpooled with another parent. And Monday was my day to take him. And I take him down there. And uh, Butler's really cool. They, they give a character award for all of the different teams at the camp. And uh, Jordan, on the very first day, she gets a character award for having the best character. And I'm so excited. So Monday night we get home. And I'm like, hey, sis, you know, if you're going to have energy for tomorrow, you need to go to sleep a little bit earlier. And she's like, yeah, Dad, you're right. So we do our normal routine. We pray. We read the Bible. We sing some songs together. And typically, that will put Jordan straight to sleep. She'll go to sleep. But not Monday night. 30 minutes after I put her down, she comes downstairs where Jen and I are at. And she says, I can't sleep. My stomach hurts. And so we give her some medicine for that. She goes back upstairs. We're thinking, oh, this will be great. 30 minutes later, she comes back down again. We're like, what? I still can't sleep. I said, well, why don't you read a book? And usually, if we tell her that, she reads the book, reads the book, kind of gets her mind off of whatever it is that's going on, and she goes to sleep. But not Monday night. 30 minutes later, she comes to our bedroom door. She knocks on the door. I can't sleep. So... Mom steps in, super mom. You know how moms sometimes, they think they can do all things. So she steps in, she goes, I got this. She goes, she does the exact same routine, prays, devotions, does it all right with her. She thinks, oh, I've got it now. She comes back to bed, lays down, half hour later. I can't sleep. Well, at this point, I go ahead and I take her into the bed one more time. I'm like, well, what's going on? And she said, well, I feel anxious about going to the soccer camp tomorrow. And I'm like, okay, well, let's pray about it. God's going to be there with you. Everything's going to be good. I'm being good pastor boy. Everything, you know, everything I tell you guys, I'm telling her and I'm thinking we're good. Now at this point, I can't sleep. So I go downstairs, I turn on the TV, try to kind of uh, look at the news, chill out a little bit. And I'm just about getting ready to go upstairs to go to sleep. And she walks down again. And at that point, I lost it. I grabbed that little nine-year-old's hand and I said, you are going to bed. And I don't know how many steps she made, but she didn't make all 13 of them, I can tell you that. And we got her up to bed and I get her into bed and I put her down. I'm like, I don't know why you're being such a baby. You're acting like a kindergartner. Now you need to go to sleep. And she did. And I felt justified for the way that I acted. Next morning, I wake up. I always ask God, because I have a 24-hour rule, God, anything that lasts 24 hours, I've sinned against you or anyone else. He's like, duh. And he reminds me about what I had just done that night, and I'm like, I'm such an idiot. 
Here's this little nine-year-old. She's scared about going to a soccer camp. And her daddy is more concerned about what time she gets to bed rather than just holding her until she would fall asleep because I wasn't going to give in. And that's what she wanted. So the next day, she goes to the soccer camp. She comes back. I set her down. I said, Jordan, I want to apologize. This is not the way Daddy needs to act. I'm sorry that I raised my voice and yelled at you. You know, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And she said, of course I forgive you, Daddy. You're my Daddy. And I was kind of difficult last night, wasn't I? I'm like, you sure were, you little brat. I'm joking, I didn't really say that. I wanted to, I wanted to, but I didn't. Folks, I don't do this all the time. Sometimes it never even comes back to me that somehow I haven't come clean with something and I don't do it very quickly. But we have to admit our sins, ask for forgiveness, and then finally, accept God's healing. And this is probably the hardest for most of us. Most of us, when we feel like we have failed God, we feel like such a loser, such a failure, that we owe it to Him to walk around feeling down and in the dumps for a week or two or three or longer. We feel like heaven looks down upon us and says, You're unfit! You're unfit! And we just listen to this evil voice that says to us, You're never going to be forgiven. God won't forgive you. You've messed up way, way too much. And friends, that's what Satan wants. He wants you to feel shame and guilt and just a horrible attitude that you're not worthy. And God wants you to experience healing. You know, once David admitted his sin, he asked for forgiveness, and then he received this healing. This is what he says. God created in him, what's it say? A pure heart. And renewed him. But David had to choose what road he was going to go down. When the crossroad hit, where was he going to come? For this week, there's a crossroad for many of us that we come to. A crossroad in which we either come clean, which is God's way, or we keep hiding, which is the evil one's way. Now, there is something that you receive on each of these paths. If you come clean, eventually you receive healing in your life. But if you keep hiding, what happens is you just experience more and more pain. So the question is, which road are you going to choose? Today, God desires for you to take that left road to come clean so that you could receive healing. Maybe today for some of you, you're... You're in need of physical healing or spiritual healing or physical healing or emotional healing. Whatever it is, God desires to give healing to you. But there is a step that has to take place before healing comes into your life. And what was that first step again? You've got to admit your wrongdoing. James 5.16 puts it this way. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be, what's the next word? Healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 
Now, no one is ever eager to do this. No one wakes up in the morning and goes, I just can't wait to confess some sin. Hallelujah. Come here. Who can I do? But the whole point is that on that, if you come clean and you get the stuff out, it leads to a road of healing. I had a guy one time who uh, said, man, I've been holding this thing for years. Nobody else knows. But I just got to get it off my shoulders, he told me. And he shared this thing that no one else knew. And as I prayed for him, I physically could see his body starting to relax and experience healing from God. There's a woman one time that came to me and she said, I've got to share with you something that I've never told anyone and this is why I'm coming clean with. And she shared it. And then after she is done, she's like, man, it's like 50 pounds just came off. I feel like I just lost 50 pounds. You see, folks, confession, it leads to weight loss. It does. Friends, there is power in being honest with somebody else. There's power in confessing sin to each other and praying for each other so that you may be what? Healed. Today I have no doubt that in a crowd this size that there are some people that are feeling lonely and feeling like no one's around and you've done some things and you haven't come clean but you're looking for healing. Like you want whatever that weight is to be removed. You're mourning something but you haven't turned to the one who can give you comfort. And for some of you, you're like, it's impossible. What I've done, I've messed up so much that it's impossible for God to heal. Or the thing that I need healing for, it's impossible for Him to come through. And if that's you today, I just want to tell you, you're wrong. And it's not because I'm saying it, but because God's Word tells us this. Let's read it out loud together. Everybody in one voice. For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Some of you need physical healing today. You got some test results. Something came back. There's something within you that's not working. Uh, This morning, I've been struggling with an issue with my right Achilles for the last three months. And I came up and I said, hey, I want to be prayed for. I, I want healing from you. Others of you, you need healing in a relationship. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's with your dad. Maybe it's with your mom. Maybe it's with an enemy. But you need God's healing in some relationship in your life. Others of you, it's emotional healing. You're going through a divorce right now, or you're going through a breakup with somebody, and it is so painful and so difficult, and you feel so lost and depressed, and you need God's healing in your life. And yet for others of you, you need spiritual healing. The reality is you do the church thing and you show up and your name gets checked on a list somewhere. But the last time that you had an intimate moment with God and prayer and Bible study have kind of drifted away and you need healing. So would you come to the healer today? Not tomorrow, not next week, not the next 4th of July. But God says today, come clean. Mourn. You'll be blessed if you do this. And I won't look bad upon you. I'll actually give you comfort and healing. 
So I'm going to invite you to stand right now, and Derek's going to close us in a song called Healer. And I'd like you to look at the words and to sing the words and allow God to move. You hold my every moment all my agencies You walk with me through the fire Heal my disease I trust invite the uh, prayer team to come up right now. And uh, we're not a altar calling, high pressure, twist the arms of people uh, to come up. And uh, I, I kind of battled with God with this the whole time when I was preparing this particular teaching. And I lost. And so at the end here, we're going to pray and then you're free to go, but there's something in the Bible in which when people were wanting healing in their life, they would go and they would come clean to one other person and then they would be anointed with oil. 
And there was nothing special about the oil itself. In fact, this oil that I'm holding up right now, it costs $4.49 at the Christian bookstore. You want it, you can go get as much as you want. There's nothing about this oil that is magical or brings healing, but this is what does bring healing. When God's presence comes into a room, He releases His Holy Spirit and power comes and lives are changed and people are healed. And so, today, if you need some healing in your life, maybe it's physically, emotionally, spiritually, a relationship, and you can't go anymore and you need to come clean, today's your day. And basically, this is all that's going to happen. We're going to keep the lights off so you can come up if you want to. And you can come up to someone. They're just going to say, what's your name? You tell them your name. And then we'd like you to confess any sin that you want just in their ear. They don't know you, so don't worry about it. They're not going to keep this. If you're like, oh, I know that person, go to another person that doesn't know you, okay? But I told them, don't tell me anything, and this is strict confidence. These are the leaders of our church. It's safe. And then they're just going to put a little bit of oil on their finger and put a sign of a cross on you and say, what is the healing you want? Whatever the healing is that you want. So name, this is where I'm coming clean, and this is the healing that I want. And they'll do it right then, and they'll be done. And if you're here today and you're like, nah, it's not me. It's not, that's cool. You can uh, leave, have a great Fourth of July weekend, and enjoy. But if you need healing today, like there's something big you've been carrying, I wouldn't leave. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for your Holy Spirit that moves into this place today and that we simply are able to watch it move and see it released. And I pray for folks today, God, that if they need healing in a relationship or they have a hurt or there's some physical healing they need or emotions, that God, through your Holy Spirit, you would move and bring that healing in this place today. But we know, God, that before that happens, the scripture is so clear that we have to come clean, not to everybody, just to one person that can be whispered in their ear. It doesn't have to be loud. And then we ask for you to do your work. And so I thank you in advance for what you're going to do and lives you'll change. We pray this in Christ's name.